this is Jordan Van Trump with Farm Tank. Farm Tank is an organization I formed for individuals and business owners to learn the latest in innovation, execution, and motivation. I believe there's a huge demand for hearing how others have become successful in life. I'll be traveling the world talking to some of the most influential CEOs and founders to help everyone learn and be more successful in their near future. The agricultural community has been extremely grateful to me and my family, so I'd like to do the same for everyone else and share my insights with you. With that, coming to you live with Farm Tank, Jordan Van Trump. This episode of Farm Tank is brought to you by AgSwag. AgSwag focuses on returning an ROI when it comes to corporate swag and client gifting to really take your business to the next level. AgSwag offers creative ways to build a winning culture in your business, smart strategies to lower customer acquisition costs, and a true vision to help your business improve customer retention rates. I've used AgSwag to help build the culture at Farm Tank, design logos, design t-shirts for special events, and really come up with a customer retention program to really start building brand ambassadors for my business. My theory is I can work with sweatshirts.com out of China that knows nothing about my business or agriculture itself, or I can use AgSwag, who are boots on the ground, submerged in agriculture every day, talking to farmers. I really use them as a sounding board when it comes to making decisions about corporate swag and client gifting. I know they're working with a lot of big companies such as Crop Risk Services at the moment, CGB, Lathrop and Gage, and they're even working with uh, the local farm to help them with employee retention and uh, customer retention problems when it comes to buying grain, renting ground. Uh, they're even expanded out into some construction businesses. I know they're working a lot with real estate companies. They also have a CEO challenge out there right now as well. And you can contact me about that and I'd be happy to send it your way. But it's uh, seven secret questions to challenge every CEO. And I know they haven't got any CEOs to actually get all seven questions right. So it might be a good challenge just for you to try if you want to do AgSwag or not. Be sure to give AgSwag a call at 816-221-SWAG. They're always the go-to creative resource for swag and unique client gifting ideas. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Ben Hootie. Ben was raised and surrounded by agriculture nearly his whole life growing up on a farm in Canada. Ben has done lots in his life from buying farm ground when all the odds were against him to owning businesses in the ag retail space. He has led his organization through full business cycles, particularly in agriculture, and the deployment of capital into diverse asset classes currently being in real estate. Ben is currently the chairman of the Hootie Group, and with that, I'd like to welcome Ben to the show. Thank you, Jordan. Yep, appreciate you having on. Um, let's uh, let's start this podcast off by you telling our listeners who's been the most influential person in your life today or in the past. Well, <clears throat> I guess uh, I look at it from two different perspectives, and one is from a personal perspective, uh, it would be Jesus Christ. From a business perspective, I'd have to say that it would be Brian Tracy. Okay. Tell me a little bit more about both. Well, um, you know, interestingly enough, there is a little bit of similarity between the two, the two of them, or I guess a connection between the two of them. One, of course, uh, you know, Jesus Christ uh, teaches us to love and be loved. And uh, that's what he did. 
for all the time that he was on the planet, and uh, that's what he wants us to do as well. So, um, again, from a personal perspective, to me that's real important, and uh, I take a lot of guidance uh, and support from him. With, uh, with Brian Tracy, uh, he was one who supported or I should say exposed me to the fact that us as human beings have all of the qualities that we require to do anything that we so choose in life. But <clears throat> one, of his, one of his personal quotes that I have always appreciated is that the greatest gift you can give to others is the gift of unconditional love and acceptance and uh, and of course I'm sure you can appreciate how uh, I think that both of them have things in common for sure definitely um, diving into I like to start my podcast off with a question like that but diving into a little bit on your background tell our listeners just a little brief bit about your background where you grew up high school went to college first real job Stuff like that. Sure, sure. Well, I grew up on a farm in uh, rural Saskatchewan. Uh, for your American listeners, that's uh, the province just north of North Dakota and Montana. And uh, <clears throat> I, you know, I attended uh, high school at the uh, at the local community uh, of uh, Campsack, uh, which would have. Uh, uh, been the size of approximately 2,000 people. Our farm was closest to a community by the name of Norquay, which uh, the population was 500 people. And and uh, so that's where I had gotten my start. Now, early in life, I had become, uh, I guess, attracted to finding businesses or ventures that could turn a lot of cash in a quick period of time, which had drawn me into the music business. I had become a promoter when I was still attending high school, and I would promote rock and roll music. I would put on dances in our local communities in an attempt, of course, to, uh, to profit by it. And uh, back then, uh, it actually worked out really, really well. You could, you could profit to a huge degree uh, in a very short period of time by just figuring out, uh, you know, having the right uh, entertainers in the right venue. So uh, I guess that was, that was a part of my, you know, my early life that uh, that I quite enjoyed. I mean, uh, as far as startups, I guess my, my greatest startup would have been when I had determined that uh, I wanted to spend time with family. Uh, my, my brother was back home working with my father on the farm, and uh, we came from a really close family, and I had determined that I wanted to be a part of that, 
and to work alongside with my brother and my father in uh, building something that we could all be proud of and that we could all profit from. So, uh, you know, my greatest startups, I guess, would have been Hootie Farms, Inc., Hootie Soil Services, Inc., Hootie Farms, U.S., Inc. Um, back to the rock and roll, who were some of the who were some of the events? Did you put on events for anybody big or just local people? Or well, uh, from the start, it wasn't any big name groups or artists. It was just local entertainers in our province of Saskatchewan. But as time went on, uh, we continued to uh, expand our footprint and and uh, eventually then handling most of Western Canada, and uh, now I know that none of, these, none of these groups will be familiar to you, but, uh, but we did have some involvement with, uh, with the Stampeders. We had involvement with uh, Sweeney Todd um, that was, you know, back in 1996 had the number one song in Canada, um, the lead singer was Brian Adams. That might, might uh, you know, jog jog a name in your in your in your mind. Um, <clears throat> but uh, no, we were we were usually in that level, just underneath of what would be considered the larger venues with the uh, larger entertainers. Mm-hmm. What about uh, what are some of the best lessons you learned in that business along the way that you still use today, or failures well, that you learned the most from? Yeah, I, I you know I would think that uh, what I learned most was that relationships matter. Relationships are important. Um, building integrity, having people. Uh, know that they can uh, count on what you commit to, what you say. Um, I watched, especially in that business, where many people didn't have those qualities and how quickly they would fall by the wayside simply because they'd find themselves without anybody to work with, without anybody... uh, to do a deal with them because they were mm-hmm. just so untrustworthy. Yeah, what, remind me again. What are the what are the three rules you live by? I think you've told me this before, and one of them's never be late. And I wasn't well, late to the yeah, call, they, but you were on there before me. There, there's there's uh, there, there's four secrets to success, as they say. One is do what you say. Finish what you start, be on time, and say please and thank you. I think those are pretty, pretty straightforward, pretty simple, and yet pack such power because when you look at each of them individually, it, uh, it about says it all, Jordan. That uh, definitely gets the job done if you're doing all of them, I would imagine. And a lot of people, Absolutely. it seems like, fail to do them every day as simple as they are yep i would agree with you wholeheartedly 
What about uh, I, I you know today today uh, uh, let me just let me just throw this in. I mean, you know, <clears throat> if we even attempted to hold our politicians uh, to those four rules or secrets of success, uh, in most cases, when I say most cases, probably 90% would fail miserably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I don't, I mean, Trump probably does it the best we've seen as of so as of lately doing what he says he's going to do but still not uh not there all the time probably not well, most of the time I would agree with that is that Trump has certainly been the one to adhere to those to the greatest degree and yet interestingly enough maybe because of that he attracts the scorn that he does but mm-hmm. We uh, we regress into politics. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your transition back into farming um, or agriculture. You would say after you were done working in the music business, how did how did that all get started? Did you go back and start working on the farm, or I know you started buying up farm ground eventually, but how did the yeah. uh, story actually take place? Well, <clears throat> I you know it it it's um, for me personally it, it it's it's something really really close to my heart. I mean, uh, I went back to uh, back to the farm and and uh, had a plan that I shared with with my father and my brother, of course, and and the plan was going to take <laughs> you know quite a degree of commitment and and um, and and capital. Um, of which I had, as far as capital, I had very little. I mean, I was I was a young man back then, 20 years old. But I did a well enough job to convince them that uh, they needed to put their capital in. And, you know, one of the things that always surprised me was the fact that my father did. My father took everything he worked for up until that point and moved his chips to the center of the table. So he had faith in my brother and I to the extent that we were going to, in fact, make this something bigger and better, and we'd all benefit from it. Um, <clears throat> and that's what we did. And, and, you know, we saw the multiplication of our, of our capital, of our equity, as being extremely important, and it was our sole purpose to continue to build our net worth. And by focusing in on that, of course, drew some options or some opportunities for us that uh, once we'd research and determine that we were on the right track, uh, you know, we would adopt them and work them forward to uh, to the greatest extent possible. Yeah. What about? Uh, I know uh, after you got you guys got working, and then my dad told me you guys eventually started buying all buying up a lot of farm ground when everyone else was selling their ground. He said your dad was you and your dad were butting heads 
on the situation and um I just kind of want to know what drove you to keep buying the ground and the confidence you had to know that it would eventually work out at the end. I'm just wanting to learn a little bit more about that experience as well. Sure, sure. Well, <clears throat> that came along with uh with us being introduced to uh to cycles. I guess you know, when I back up far enough, we've always been students of the markets and uh, trying to determine, um, you know, how exactly this price discovery would take place and what were the drivers, what were the influencers, and, uh, you know, paying attention to them. Well, through that process, we were introduced, uh, we were introduced to, to uh, long-term cycles, and long-term cycles that exist in, in every asset class that's out there. And it, uh, you know, we found it fascinating. When we, when we applied the cycles theory to uh, ag assets, uh, in particular farmland, um, the more research we did, the more study we did, we found that we were entering into a period uh, of where we could very well see a rapid increase or appreciation in the value of farmland. And, uh, well, we had determined that uh, the way to build our balance sheet or build our net worth was to put as many acres on our balance sheet as we possibly could. And uh, And you're right, or your father's right, is that when we when we had come to uh, become really convinced of that uh, and comfortable with it, uh, we hit the gas pretty hard because within a period of uh, not many years, um, you know, we we bought up twenty thousand acres in Canada and we bought up eighteen and a half thousand acres in the U.S. Um, and you have to understand that. Most of those purchases came by adding, uh, you know, a quarter section, a half section. Maybe there were times where there was two or three sections, but it was, it was uh, for the most part, uh, the small deals that, uh, that uh, took a lot of time to put together. Uh, and, uh, but nonetheless, we had, we had gotten there. <clears throat> at uh, at a time just prior to what's now referred to as the great commodity supercycle that uh, you know probably got its start in about 2007 and lasted till uh, 2012 or 2014 so we had our balance sheet loaded up um, quite well going into that period and and of course we had a couple of benchmarks that we had waited for in order before we had started to divest we had reached those benchmarks and we pulled the trigger and sold out of all of our farm ground both in the US and Canada and our farm retail business up in up in Canada as well was there uh, was ever was there ever a time in that process when uh you thought the idea was ever going to fall apart, and you're like, "This is it, guys. I don't, I don't know if we're going to make it any longer." 
Is there any painful times well, like that? Or? We, we, were, we were certainly challenged financially prior to this period. I mean, um, you know, ag, I'm sure any of your listeners would appreciate, has gone through some awful tough times. And there was once in the late 80s when it had us on our knees financially, and then about the mid-90s again, it had us on our knees financially. But really, when we started to buy up farm ground, that's when we started to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, we saw increasing commodity prices, which you know added to our profitability, of course. And um, and uh, lo and behold, ag assets became probably one of the sexiest uh, asset classes that were out there for at least a couple of years. And uh, so it was quite it was quite gratifying. You know, you mentioned you mentioned button heads with my father. You know that 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 wasn't necessarily the case. I guess there came a time when we were running so hard, um, as you can appreciate. I mean, right from the very start, we had about 700 acres um, that we had owned, and that, and this would have been of, of of course in the early 80s. And, you know, we took that operation to over 38,000 acres. So uh, even though he was pretty comfortable with what we were doing, there came a point in time when he was old enough and he said, listen, uh, you know what, I think, I think I'm going to get out. I want you boys to take me out. Uh, this is uh, a little much for me now at this point in my life but at that time he was like 75 years old so just mm-hmm. looking for a little more security and not necessarily riding as close to the edge as we were constantly <laughs> yeah definitely that's a conversation me and my dad have at times he's like yep you're uh you're gun-ho and i've been gun-ho in my life but not near as gun-ho anymore but i definitely feel you there and we have those talks once a week, once every couple of weeks, so it's always good. Sure. But um, what about farm ground? Farm ground now? Are you following much of it right now, or what do you see? Well, uh, no, 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 we aren't. We're, we're you see that the when one studies the cycle in each of the individual asset classes, you come to determine the duration of the cycle. And one of the things that uh, I guess is from our perspective, a little discouraging about the farmland cycle is the fact that it's so long. And really, it's two 30-year cycles put together for a 60-year cycle. And uh, my goodness, you don't get much of a chance throughout your lifetime to experience that. Um, Mm -hmm. So for that reason... um, you know, it's just too long in duration. We, we look now for asset classes that have cycles that, you know, preferably 10 years, 15 years, maybe max, so that you can, you know, it takes time to lay into it, and then, of course, it takes time to uh, divest out of it. So, uh, yeah. 
the, you know, almost the shorter the better in terms of the duration. Yeah, yeah, I've talked with my dad on some of those cycles, those longer ones, and he's like, yeah, you can really bank some massive profits, but uh, you're only going to have a chance to see one of them or two of them maybe in your lifetime. So I've already seen one when I was just a little guy in high school. Didn't have much opportunity to do much then, but he's like, you better be ready for the next one when it comes around. Yep. Yep. Um, what about... Uh, what about ag retail? I know you got into ag retail space, Hootie Soils. Um, how'd that come about? Why'd you guys decide to start getting in that business? Well, we we got involved uh, in the ag retail business in the early 80s. In fact, 1983 was when we incorporated Hootie Soils. And it was it came about out of need. We Our own farm then required, you know, particular... Uh, uh, goods, uh, products, services that we looked around and there just wasn't retailers in our particular area at that time that were providing what we so required. So we had determined that uh, it would be best for us to get involved. We had. Um, we, uh, we very quickly... Um, you know, we're blessed and 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 with with business. Uh, we had uh, many neighboring uh, operations that supported us, and it was uh, really gratifying. It was a, a wonderful, wonderful way um, to uh, you know have uh, a system, a process, a business uh, that would help one raise his family uh, in terms of teaching them some of the more important things that uh, we had determined that they were that they required to learn yeah if you had to pick let me ask you this if you had to pick uh, one one key thing you guys did at Hootie Soils to let you be successful as you guys were what would it be what would, would it be relationships like you talked about earlier or business uh, absolutely you know, it, 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 it would, we had come to determine that the more time effort we put into securing our customers' success or helping them to build their operations successfully, the greater benefit we derived financially and otherwise. Mm-hmm. So it it was all about customer service and concentrating on their success that ballooned our success. Yeah. Well, what were some of the ways you did that? I'm kind of doing, I'm starting ag swag as you know, and working with some companies and I'm trying to help them build their businesses. You would say, um, from a personal perspective for me, what were, uh, some of the better things you guys did to help the farming operations, grow well uh, we came up with a three-part platform and the three-part platform was number one we helped our customers uh, to maximize their productivity help mm-hmm. them to grow the biggest most efficient uh, lowest cost 
crops on a per bushel basis by maximizing their productivity. Then the second part was helping them to maximize what they got paid for their productivity. It was one thing to grow it, and we have a lot of, and we did have a lot of customers that had the green thumb, and they could do a fabulous job of growing the crops. Marketing them for a profitable price was another challenge all in itself. And uh, so we would help them in that regard. And one of the ways that we did, of course, was by putting together, we had this, this imaginary, um, or I shouldn't call it imaginary, it wasn't. It was a virtual, a virtual board of directors, which, by the way, your father sat on whether he realized it or not. But we had a group of advisors, analysts, that we would pay attention to, and we considered them our board of directors that would help us make those marketing decisions uh, from time to time. But that was platform number two. Platform number three was after you helped them maximize their productivity, helped them maximize what they got paid for their productivity. Number three was helping them to build their balance sheet. And that was a little more involving than it sounds because we would put together, um, you know, their budgets and their cash flows and their balance sheets for them in a way that not only they could understand but that their bankers and the people that they most were working with, suppliers and so forth, uh, could understand and appreciate as well. So we did the whole package, and uh, we found that uh, for many of them, they may have had a talent or an ability on one, two, or three of the, the uh, or one, two of the platform or three, but not necessarily would have all of them covered. So we could be of great assistance in one area or another, which uh, built us, I guess, uh, a reputation for the fact that the farm operations that dealt with the Hooties. Um, ended up having the opportunity to grow their operation and, uh, you know, to whatever extent that they, that they would like to and had all of the support in order to do that, uh, financial and otherwise. So uh, yeah. it was a model that worked really well for us. Uh, we were profitable and, and we were happy for it. Good. Good deal. Yeah, it sounds like a elaborate plan and Lots of moving parts. Back to uh, when you were talking about my dad uh, sitting on the board of advisors when he didn't know it. Let's tell us. Uh, a lot of my listeners are my dad's subscribers, and for all of you out there that are listening, uh, Ben was one of the first subscri- one of the first subscribers to our report. Um, just tell us a little bit on how you found my dad and the story behind all that. Well, you know, it was. I mean. Um, one of the series that I guess I've worked with or our families worked with <laughs> in our lives is that the people that you, uh, that you network with will determine your net worth. And uh, it's always been important for us 
to network with like-minded individuals, um, and that that can take us down a completely different story about hypomaniacs. But I'll leave that for another day. But uh, anyways, it's 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 interesting, and I'm sure everybody's found it is that like uh, like minds uh, tend to uh, tend to find each other's, and uh, you know it, it's amazing how how that puzzle comes together, but it does. And, uh, and of course, our introduction to your father, uh, I'm not sure that it came through Andy Daniels or whether we, we were introduced to your father uh, prior to our introduction to Andy, but it was simultaneous um, nonetheless. And... Uh, and uh, we just had, uh, you know, determined very quickly and very early in that introduction or that relationship the amount of horsepower that your father had in taking some very complex situations and simplifying them into ways that uh, people could get their heads around. And, um, yeah, we, uh, you know, Kevin has been very much a part of our, our family, a part of our group. Uh, Jordan, I think you know that. We, we, we mm-hmm. rely on him from time to time quite heavily and, and certainly appreciate our relationship with him. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we appreciate everything you do for us, too. I, I talk to Braden a lot. and played a big role in what I've done in this past year and I hope he uh, continues to help me but uh, I know you talked about net, net networking a little bit and I was wanting to move aside from your career a little bit um, seems like you guys love to network you know tons of some of the most interesting people um, I've met and uh, I've heard about I mean my dad was telling me you uh, invited him up to Sturgis to lunch with the founder of Patron I was just Wondering, who are some of the most interesting people you've met along the way in your network today? The most interesting people I met. Well, I mean, your your father was referring to uh, Paul DeJoyer, uh, yeah. And uh, and yes, that was uh, that that uh, we did have lunch uh, with Paul. There was a very small group of us, maybe twenty of us, and uh, of course we had heard his story of. You know, living out the back seat of his car, uh, you know, with a couple hundred bucks in his pocket, and and uh, there he was, uh, maybe a decade or two later, worth five billion dollars. So, um, I always love to hear those kinds of stories. How, you know, people had put their right foot forward and managed to do extremely well for themselves. But I guess, uh, you know. When you ask about people, people that uh, that we may have found uh, fascinating, I, I I come across people in my everyday life that, uh, in their own right, they are mountain of men, and um, there's you know there's there's numerous of them that have had an influence on me 
uh, you know, and on our family. I mean, not maybe inclusive of any one or two individuals, but certainly bits and pieces from each of them have influenced our lives. What if we transition to travel? I know you you travel a lot. What are some of the best places you've been? Can you tell me that? Or sure, sure, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we you know we had made it an objective of ours to uh, try to see as much of North America as we possibly could uh, via via highway or or via ground, I should say, and. Uh, before the time comes when maybe we aren't so interested in traveling by ground any longer. So we we have now basically traveled all throughout North America, Canada and the United States. Uh, some of the most interesting trips, of course, would have been uh, the Pacific Coast Highway uh, from Vancouver, uh, British Columbia or Seattle down to San Diego, it is absolutely gorgeous, and uh, if it isn't something somebody has witnessed or experienced, they need to. That would be that would be uh, probably number one on my list. Number two, uh, we spent some time out in the Maritimes of uh, Eastern Canada, and uh, you know, traveled through uh, New Brunswick and Nova Scotia and Prince Edward Island and and Newfoundland, and it is just again there are some gems out there that uh, uh, are over the top. Um, we've traveled the Alaska Highway, and that as well is something that if a person hasn't done, you need to put on your bucket list because to actually see what was accomplished by these men and women back in the 1940s putting through a 2,500-mile highway through, through wilderness uh, is just breathtaking, absolutely breathtaking. Um, also, we were quite surprised. We traveled, uh, we traveled the rim around the Gulf of Mexico, right from uh, the bottom part of Texas around through Louisiana and Florida and down into the Keys. And, and uh, there are just so many places in North America that uh, hold such grandeur and beauty. Um, many of them will come back to mind of memory, of course, and... Uh, you know, it just puts a smile on your face. So yeah, we, yeah. yes, we, we've we've seen a lot of North America. I guess uh, those two or three three trips that I pointed out would have been, uh, you know, some of the best we had. Yeah, we've done the 101 highway, and we're uh, wanting to go up to Alaska, but haven't made it up there yet. Um, I think it's just a time deal. But uh, one more thing on the travel wise, I was wanting to talk to you about. You knew it was coming, and I know you can talk on it all day, but we don't have all day. But uh, <laughs> tell me, tell us all a little bit about these vortexes you uh, buy properties around and that uh, you believe in, or others believe in it as well. But sure, sure. Well, a vortex, I mean, for your listeners, is simply just a huge, 
human battery charger. That's what it is. There's places on the planet that, it, that, uh, that uh, additional energy exists to uh, 2, 3, 5, 10 degrees. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not certain scientifically, but uh, when you find yourself in a vortex, you find your energy levels powering up and providing you the opportunity or the ability to deal through any issues that you may have had that you couldn't ever gather up the energy to deal through and decide prior to. So I, uh, <clears throat> I find them fascinating. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. We had some friends from Canada here just recently. We went up and spent the weekend in Sedona. Sedona has five vortexes here in Arizona. And uh, just a fabulous, fabulous place um, that, uh, like I say, I mean, uh, the battery charges work real well, and uh, we always enjoy them. Where, uh, where else? You're, big, you're, you're the vortex hunter, we like to call you, but where else have you, uh, where else have you found these vortexes? I know you have one down in Cabo you found by your place. Have you found any other ones it, recently? Or? Yes, yes. Well, I mean, the ones that I can mention uh, in the United States, for instance, uh, you know, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho has a vortex. The Black Hills of South Dakota has a vortex. Garden of the Gods in Colorado, uh, just, just west of Colorado Springs, has a vortex. Uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. I mentioned uh, Sedona, Arizona. <clears throat> you have uh, La Jolla, California, Encinita, California. Uh, you've got... Uh, Black Rock out at Canapali Beach in Maui. Uh, my goodness, what have I missed? Yes, Cabo. We have one in San Jose del Cabo. Uh, Jordan, I'm quite convinced, though, that there's many areas, many places that vortexes exist, but people just haven't determined them to be. And... Mm -hmm. The, the, what, what, I, what I'd offer to you and your listeners is that if you've ever found a spot, a place, where when you enter into, it just feels so comfortable. It feels so comfortable that it feels like this is where you should be, and in some cases where you should remain, chances are... There's a vortex there. Interesting. Yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of them out there. My parents are convinced their house out in the country is a vortex. And have you been sure. out there? Uh, no, I can't say I have. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to have you out there at some point. Um, one yeah. last thing on a personal perspective I wanted to ask is about all the charity work you do. I know you're heavily involved in giving back. Um, what are some of your favorite events and charities you support? Well, <clears throat> I guess uh, <laughs> one of the favorite ones would, would, of course, be one of the ones that we started up in Canada called the, uh, called the Big Buck Run. Um, I'm sure you've been told about it and you're familiar with it. Oh, yeah. Braden's uh, been trying to get me to come up there. 
<laughs> well, you should do yourself a favor and come up sometime. I know you'd enjoy it. it you know, the event was put on simply, uh, or the event was organized simply to put like-minded people together and uh, provide them an opportunity to network, uh, maybe share some stories or some trials and tribulations and, and uh, you know, find some work-forward uh, plans from that. And it's worked really well in, you know, for that. Um, I don't doubt that there's been a lot of uh, startups, if you wish, have been discussed uh, at the at the at the big buck run, um, but in addition to, it provides you know an opportunity for all of those in attendance to uh, to uh, pay it forward and uh, mm -hmm. you know provide some some support for others that uh, find themselves in in a less fortunate position. So. I mean that that's that's one of my favorites, and of course, you know it's it's somewhat morphed uh, into another event here in uh, the Phoenix Valley called uh, Valley Guardians, and uh, yep. you know it's been with the influence, of course, of of uh, of our sons and 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 our daughter for a period of time, and their friends, uh, you know, putting it together and. And uh, that's been really gratifying as well. It, it's, uh, we enjoy them. They're a lot of fun. Uh, chances are you meet some of the best people you're ever, ever going to meet on the planet at uh, either one of those events. Yeah, I definitely uh, think I'm planning on coming, coming down to the waste management and with Braden, and I think I might be doing the big buck run too. We've been talking a little bit about it, but... Just gonna have to put some time time aside and get it done. Sure. What's uh? Let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now at the Hootie Group, though. Just tell us uh, a little bit more about the company and exactly what you guys do. Are you guys just in real estate right now, or are you invested in some other areas? Well, <clears throat> we've uh, yeah, real estate is uh, the majority of our focus, of course. And the vast majority of that focus is here in the Phoenix Valley. We do own some co uh, commercial property up in uh, Minot, North Dakota, but it's a small, uh, uh, you know, very much a smaller portion of what we've got going on. So we're involved in the real estate cycle, uh, you know, to a large degree now, and we see things uh, unfolding just pretty near as expected. Um, we see that there could be another two to three years in this in this cycle um, before we get to a place where uh, divesture uh, will become the order of the day. And uh, aside from that, something that uh, keeps us, uh, uh, you know, plugged in and grounded is we we provide or we have a, a venture capital pool of capital that we invest in. That's into uh, startups for the most part of uh, that have that come up through the introduction from those within our network. So um, we try to keep it, you know, close to the chest, so to speak. 
and try to eliminate some of the risk associated with it by making certain that we know uh, the people that we're in fact investing into. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, as you know, my family's also invested in real estate, nowhere near what you guys are, but uh, my dad said he hasn't talked to you in a while, and he's like, hey, you better make sure to ask Ben uh, a little bit about the real estate market. So diving a little deeper, I know you said you see two to three years left in the cycle, but uh, what are you guys seeing moving forward? I mean, are prices just going to continue to skyrocket, or when are we going to start to see a pullback, you're thinking? Well, I, you know, I'm not certain that skyrocketing is is the proper term, but but um, he, he, let me just try to paint you a little bit of a picture, uh, because once you study cycles, you need to determine um, what's the ebb and the flow of the cycle, and then once you feel you've got a pretty good handle on that, you need, need to determine where you are in the cycle. So just very quickly, <clears throat> once a cycle is put in a top, and a top here, uh, you know, in the, in the residential real estate market, for the most part, in the United States of America, would have happened in, in late 2006, early 2007. So that's your top. From there, mm-hmm. the market fell. The bottom happened anywhere from 2010 to, geez, as, as far out as 2013, 2014. And then we started to climb. Now, once you've put in a top back to 2007, the bottom is usually in when you pull the market back 50% from the previous high. So just throwing some numbers at it, Jordan, if the previous Mm -hmm. high was 100, you'd be looking to pull it back to 50. Once you put in the 50, now you go back to the 100 and you double it. So by the time you see the next top, you double the 100 to 200. I would say that in the market today, where uh, you know generally we're probably 25 to 50 percent over top of those previous highs, those 2007 highs, and mm-hmm. we're well on our way to get to uh, the 2x of the previous high. Some markets uh, are are probably 75 percent the way there now, so depending on which market in, uh, you know, which area, uh, each of them have their own drivers and you need to be conscious of them. But, um, yeah, everything's unfolding, I guess, just as we would expect it to unfold. Where do do we go once we hit the 200 mark? Do we... Do we pull back to 100 or? Correct. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Once you, once you put in that top, and understand, too, is that, you know, the cycle isn't perfect, meaning if you want to speak just values, not timing, but just values, once the pendulum starts to swing, the pendulum takes on its own inertia, 
And we saw that in ag, for instance, when, <clears throat> you know, we were looking for specific price points as being the 2x of the previous highs. And when the pendulum swung, it swung past them to quite a degree, simply because of the inertia that it had. So, mm -hmm. you know, the 2x might in fact end up being 2.2 or 2.5 uh, quite easily before that pendulum runs out of the inertia or the power or the force and starts to swing back. But, uh, mm -hmm. yes, once that top is put in place and it's a 2x top, uh, it, it swings back and you pretty generally see another 50% uh, retracement from the high. Yeah. What about, uh, I wanted to ask you where, do you, where do you see the Hootie Group in the next three to five years? Do you think you'll still be pretty heavily invested in real estate or on to something else? No, I mean, um, you know, most of our activity today is, is in preparation for divesture now. Uh, you know, we're no longer buying properties. We're just, uh, you know, managing the, way, the, the ones we have and, and preparing ourselves for, uh, for divesture. Now, beyond divesture, uh, if your question is, have we chosen another asset class to, uh, to dive into, the answer is no. We've certainly, we have a number of them on our radar screen, but uh, we haven't specifically chosen one, two, or three of them. No. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Uh, before we wrap things up, though, i got one last question for you. Um, I'd just love for you to tell our listeners one piece of advice or life lesson that's had the most impact on Ben Hootie. Hmm. Well, uh, <clears throat> again, I guess, uh, you know, our religion teaches us that uh, we need to learn how to love and be loved. And uh, when you peel away all of the other things in life that can distort that I guess you've got to come back to to uh, you know some place where uh, it 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 makes you feel like you're at home and that's certainly the place is simply find ways to love and be loved yeah that's uh, definitely some good advice and at the end of the day if there's no one there to share the moments, the great moments you're having with. It's uh, probably no fun. No purpose to it. Yeah, but uh, I think that's it for our Farm Tank session today. I appreciate you being on the show, Ben, and appreciate you taking the time to do this with me. I'm sure I'll see you soon. I'll probably be down to Scottsdale soon. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but we're having our conference again this year in Kansas City. We uh, changed the name to FarmCon. And i uh, got some pretty cool speakers there. I'll uh, send you an email after this about it, but uh, hope to see you there as well. We'd be glad to Absolutely. have you. Absolutely. Yes, and, and uh, please get that information out to me. I'll, I'll, I'll certainly uh, put it on my schedule.
Perfect. Yeah, we'd love to have a few and Braden in the room and uh, definitely going to have some big playmakers there. But I think that's it, and uh, I'll talk to you later. All right. Thank you, Jordan.